Hello and welcome to Renford Rewatched. In this episode, I take a look at Series 1, Episode 4 of The Renford Rejects, Heartbreak Hotel. I'm by myself today, but if you want to join in the conversation on a future episode, tweet the podcast on at re-Renford. So, in the pre-credits, we see a sign for Renford Comprehensive, the first time we've been anywhere near the school since the first episode. Then, Ben Phillips, goalkeeper of the Renford Rejects, reads poetry from an old-style book to a silent classroom. The poem is Stanzas to Augusta by Lord Byron. It is clear during this dry reading that two other things are happening. Jason is asleep on his desk, as you'd expect, and Vinny is filming the whole thing. It's a situation contrived for later jokes and resolutions, but it does stretch the realism a tad. Where is the teacher during this moment? There doesn't appear to be any adult supervision. Our focus is purely on Ben and the idea that he gets a kick out of the poetry thing, while others don't understand his point of view. After the credits, my favourite element of the show, VTV, sees Vinny cast a spotlight on Phillips. These early episodes sometimes shine their focus predominantly on one of the rejects in order to establish their character to the audience. At this stage, there appears to be very little character development beyond a couple of traits. For Ben, it isn't even that. He is a goalkeeper who adores poetry, beyond the usual associations. While Byron was probably standard reading for his age group at that point, it is clear his passion and interest goes deeper than academics. Like all fans of their chosen interest, his attempts at writing similar poetry about his own experiences are less than ideal. The others are convinced it has to conform to their seemingly limited knowledge of the medium. Jason suggests a plausible yet clunky rhyme to the word penalty box. Eddie adds to this his rock and roll sensibilities with an Eddie McAvoy original. From memory... This is the second time we've seen his guitar. It is after these humorous exchanges that Justine is introduced. Justine is played by Natasha Dilliston. While she sits at a table, minding her own business, engrossed in writing, Ben is convinced that she would understand his poetic sensibilities. Jason, finding this amusing, brands it an obsession of Ben's. This indicates that Ben has been admiring Justine for some time, especially when he labels her as his muse. I think we can all identify a time when we admired someone from afar and inserted things which appealed to us into all of the blanks. Whether those blanks were correct or not didn't matter. As in real life, a few of the rejects don't understand the fascination. She doesn't conform to their idea of cool, based on visual appearance. Despite ridiculing Ben for making a judgment, 
they're judging her themselves. Robin, who doesn't share the confusion, encourages Ben to read Justin his poem. This sets up Robin's role in the episode as a mentor to characters in need. When Ben plucks up the courage to read his amateur yet well-meaning poem with some of Jason's embellishments, it appears Justine is ignoring him. Ben gets annoyed and disappears out of frame. It is at this moment music begins to play as Justine raises her head. The music is the recognisable section of love theme from Romeo and Juliet, Fantasy Overture by Russian composer Tchaikovsky. Instead of the proclamation of love it is sometimes used as, it becomes clear the music is simply coming from Justine's earphones. Although you might not have noticed it, a large tape player has been visible this whole time. How the rejects didn't spot this, or the earphones for that matter, is puzzling. It's like they got so caught up in their own world, they didn't notice it. It appears the same for Justine, who didn't seem to notice that a group of strangers were staring at her, talking loudly and then reading poetry over her shoulder. She's either got that music on super loud and is totally absorbed in her observation of source receptacle, or isn't as observant as we're led to believe. I think looking at these things through a lens brings up narrative discrepancies like this, but I don't think it matters when you consider the intended audience. From this scene, we've gleamed a few things, but for me, the main thing is this. Ben has a kindred spirit, but nobody involved except the audience knows this yet. Next is the football section of the episode. The Rejects are playing the Renford Choir Boys, one of the many football team names that takes an idea and turns them into a literal side. It aligns with the idea that the Rejects are a bunch of rejects in a literal sense. Sometimes this works, sometimes it falls flat. I find the names raise a laugh, but it doesn't go any further than that. The emphasis is clearly on an aspect of the game. In this case, it's the concentration of Ben Phillips. After his apparent rejection, he's having the worst game of his life. The mix of shots show Ben missing every ball. The music playing while this is happening is a version of Kate Bush's Wuthering Heights by English punk rock band China Drum, also known as The Drum. They formed in 1989 and supported the likes of Green Day, Ash and Supergrass. The song was the B-side to their single Can't Stop These Things, which peaked at 65 on the official UK chart in 1996. The indie pop punk track seems like a random addition at first glance, but it helps to enhance the narrative. Wuthering Heights is an 1847 novel by Emily Bronte, another literary connection. Next, Jim Rosenthal appears a couple of times in the episode, expressing confusion over the rejects' match situations. 
It's a gag which is done several times over the series. Alongside Ben's romantic difficulty, there is the B story. Eddie has forgotten his wedding anniversary and she isn't happy about it. Eddie at this point is still in Elvis mode, with puns coming in relatively fast. Although quite clearly a lighter, more cartoony version of the A story, the choice of music helps to bridge the gap between the two. The song is the 1992 self-released track Life is Too Short but Death is Forever by Myself a Lifting Torch. Yet another obscure title but fits the downcast mood of both stories. Robin's role as a mentor is further built upon as she gets a grasp of Eddie's situation and tries to help. We have to ignore the fact it's a middle-aged man asking a teenager for help with his marital issues. Eddie tries to woo his wife with chocolates, but that falls flat. He mistakenly buys a favourite of Gladys McPherson, a former girlfriend of his. Something of a throwaway reference at this point, but useful later in the series. He tries an Elvis-inspired song, but is met with a cold reception. I can't understand why, because Eddie seems to have access to professional lighting and a smoke machine. That's impressive. He tries perfume, but she has a negative association. Robin suggests jewellery, but he's worried about his bank balance. They find a solution in the end, but we shall get to that. So we come back to Ben, who decides to seek help from Ronnie. He advises him to get some style, supplying him with threads from his wardrobe and advising him to mumble like the It guys, which I assume is similar to an It girl, a popular notion at this point in time. Ronnie transforms Ben, who is seen strutting his stuff around the cafe to the tune of Alison Limerick's classic club mix of Where Love Lives. Looking very 90s in an orange shirt and shades, you have to hand it to Ben for the level of commitment he puts in. There are some nerves, but he really nails the intended character that he's been encouraged to portray. I can't really imagine many of the other rejects being able to inhabit different characteristics in such a way. Although, maybe Bruno, because... He kind of does that anyway. So Ben nervously asks Justine to a boy's own concert. This one aspect of the story is a real time bubble. The Irish boy band, consisting of Ronan Keating, Stephen Gately, Mikey Graham, Shane Lynch and Keith Duffy, were absolutely huge around that time. By early 1998, they had two number one albums and 11 top five hits, including three number ones. Later that year, they would have another number one album, Where We Belong, and another number one single in No Matter What. With the amount of success, it would have been a sure thing to name check such a band without it feeling dated too quickly. Justine, though, who isn't a fan, rejects Ben's offer. 
The audience knew what her reaction would be as we've had hints she's more in tune with the true Ben. For the rejects goalkeeper though, this is another rejection. So he seeks advice from Bruno, who advises him to act Italian. I mean, of course. Let's not forget that Bruno does this all the time, so it is natural to offer that advice. Unfortunately, Ben isn't as gifted at it and makes a fool of himself. We don't see this play out, possibly because we don't need to see another rejection and we've already seen how bad he is when he's rehearsing with Bruno. It's worth noting that Bruno breaks character for a second with one or two words in a light Birmingham accent, as he has done in previous episodes. It's a great example of taking a seemingly one-note character and adding depth, something which is explored later on in the series. Next, it's Jason's turn to give advice. Essentially, women want a man to be a man. It's somewhat toxic masculinity, but a show of his naivety and a show of the times they were living in. To further emphasise the point, music from the good, the bad and the ugly is used. Finger guns and strutting like a cowboy move Ben towards Justine and a male figure. Is he with you? He says to her. It turns out to be her dad, which was pretty obvious. You have to laugh at Jason's reaction. Ben's story is resolved when Vinny and Robin decide to show the video of Ben reading poetry on the television in the cafe. Justine is impressed and approaches Ben with the last lines of Byron we hear. We as an audience knew she would be impressed and thus now everyone involved realises too. The Eddie story is also concluded pretty swiftly as Eddie gives Priscilla the boy's own tickets that originally came from Ronnie. Sorry, didn't mention that earlier, did I? Ben had given Robin the tickets to get rid of them, as he wasn't a fan either, and her plan was to sell them on before Eddie commandeered them for his own ends. I have one question at this point. Why did nobody think to give them back to Ronnie. He got the tickets in the first place and gave them to Ben as a generous gift to help with his problem. When the problem wasn't resolved, surely they should have reverted back to their original owner? I mean, hmm? Just me? Anyway, it turns out Priscilla is a huge fan and immediately forgives Eddie. And there's a nice bit of physical comedy in there too. We then see a match report with Jim and Vinny on the rejects against the Narrington Nachos. I have one question. Where is Narrington and why is it never explored or even mentioned ever again? Chances are this is the writer using alliteration for comedic effect. But still, Ben has the game of his life with a string of amazing saves. Then, confusingly, we cut back to the moment Justine and Ben discover they have something in common. She believed 
he was insensitive. I was slightly perplexed when I saw this again because I'm wondering when the match took place. Is it before or after this scene? It has to be after because it is clear Ben's performance is motivated by Justine's influence. However, another curveball is thrown. Eddie reveals to the couple, while still in this before or after scene, that he took his wife to a boys' own concert. While Eddie's resolution was quite clearly at a different time, as evidenced by the fade and music, it was shown after Ben and Justine's realisation, which still appeared to be happening after the match. Are you following this? Because, yeah, I, I got a bit confused too. So what do we think is the moral of this episode? I think it's probably be yourself, because no matter how weird you appear to your mates, there will always be someone out there who identifies with your viewpoint. This is a lesson that I have slowly learned in the last 15 years of the internet being prominent. The ability to find others who share similar passions and interests has never been easier. This podcast is a case in point. Even Eddie's storyline, although it feels like a filler, showed that when he used his own initiative rather than Robin's, he made the situation better. Robin, however, has a sort of redemption with helping to conclude the Ben and Justine situation. All of the rejects deserve some credit though. At least they tried to help. It shows they're all friends, something which is built upon in future episodes. So that concludes this episode of Renford Rewatched. Join the conversation on Twitter at rerenford and tell me what you think of the episode Heartbreak Hotel. Let me know also if you'd like to discuss an episode in the future and we'll organise something. Bye-bye for now.